What's up, everybody? On this episode of the Boston Ski Party, we have Andrew Cooperthwaite, the Vice President of Alpine at Head Skis. We get into a bunch of good stuff from his early days of ski retail to rising through the ranks at Head Tyrolia. We discuss the direction of future Head Skis, as well as the incredible success the brand has been having over the last decade. We also touch on the fact that Head's athletes, especially on the World Cup, have been second to none, and how the brand has benefited on a global scale from their success. We make sure to dive into Tyrolia's new protector binding, and Coop does an excellent job of walking us through both the how and the why these bindings are so beneficial. It's actually kind of wild that I haven't seen or skied with Coop in almost five years, so it was super dope having him on the pod to get us back up to speed with what he's got going on. Enjoy the show. Holla. It is what it is, man. 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 It's cheap, too. Duskymaster.com. Well, we will. We're, we're, okay. go, we're going to, but we, we, won't, we're, we won't jump into that just yet. But I wanted to, I wanted to start um, just kind of a little bit of, little bit of background on, on who you are. Obviously, you know, where you grew up and, and kind of your, um, your trajectory in, in the ski industry. So, you know, if you can run us through, obviously, I've. I've known you a long time. I know where you're from, but a lot of people probably don't know, you know, you're from back East and kind of how, what your career looked like. Yeah. You, you want me to just kind of run through that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so uh, my current title is, is uh, uh, vice president of head USA Alpine. Um, I grew up in central New York, Binghamton, New York, specifically uh, skiing with my family at Greek peak. Nice. New York, uh, just outside of Cortland, New York, and then went up and ski raced out of Lake Placid for some years and at Northwood School and then went to St. Lawrence University, which uh, gave me the itch to get out west and do some skiing. St. Lawrence isn't necessarily in the hub of, of skiing, you know, you No, but that, that's uh, that's up there, though. You got Titus. It's it's up there, but you're you're other than Upper Tupper, you're you're pro where you could hike, um, you know, about 400 vertical feet. Uh, <laughs> you had to get in a car and drive about an hour and 45 minutes to Whiteface, so it wasn't wasn't super close in the whole scheme of of uh, a college student who started ski racing when I first went to St. Lawrence, uh, and then got involved in things like rugby, uh, which took away from my ski racing career. Uh, yeah. But but certainly by the time I graduated, I had a significant inch to get out west. I moved out with uh, one of my buddies from St. Lawrence to Vail and um, ended up staying in Vail for almost 16 years, um, working in, in rental uh, and retail management um, for ski shops, as well as um, some buying as well. So that kind of is, is where things really started working for me in the ski industry in particular, started uh, really involving myself in boot fitting in particular, especially boot fitting, custom orthotic uh, uh, production and um, doing a lot, a lot of boot fitting, trying to get in, in as many relationships as I could with World Cup boot fitters and, and things of that nature to really progress my understanding of how the boot and the, and the foot uh, interface together. Uh, started to learn more about the back shop aspects of, of ski shops and tuning and things of that nature. Um, and then 
was fortunate enough to have a brother in the ski industry that was working for Rosignol at the time, George, and um, got to know some of the guys that he worked with over in France. And that really spurred my interest in ski development and product development. Um, started having conversations with them, um, started getting included in some uh, product testing with the Rosignol guys, which was really exciting for me back in the day, and then started boot testing and ski testing for Ski Magazine. In addition to that, when when you know that was a time where where that that issue was used very much like a like a skier's bible, and and in yeah. my retail experience with that, people would walk in holding that magazine and go, oh, I want this ski or I want this boot based upon that. And, um, so it's definitely a different different environment back then, and how much publications and ski tests drove ski sales, and um, from a manufacturer standpoint. You know, if you were to win or get on the cover or win categories in Ski Magazine back in the day, you know, let's say early 2000s to, to late 2000s, that had a big, big impact on your product uh, selling cycle. And you could you could certainly rely on a, a significant uptick in, in um, at once orders in, in the fall, uh, really hitting those products that did well in the magazine test. Yeah. You said you, you worked retail in Vail. So whereabouts were you in Vail? In in Vail, I started with uh, Kenny's Double Diamond in Lion's Head. And that's okay. really where I, I learned the, the foundations of, of my boot fitting knowledge. Um, from there, I worked for a company called Specialty Sports Ventures. Specialty Sports Ventures at that time was owned by Tom and Ken Gart. Um, that parlayed into a future contract that then became Vail Resorts retail and rental operations. So okay. now is VRR. Um, but that happened after I left the company. So I went from Kenny's Double Diamond to uh, SSV and then to Christie Sports and worked uh, with Christie Sports uh, in rental and, and retail management, um, as well as assisted Craig Peterson, the head hard goods buyer there as well. So um, nice. Christie Sports was, was a great uh, relationship for me and, and built a lot of uh, Long-standing relationships in the industry for me, and that's that's when had approached me um, in around 2009, and uh, have been signed on with them essentially since 2010. Yeah, because I was going to ask you how long it's been or when that, what year that was, but you just answered the question I didn't ask. So you've been at Head for a while. It's pretty rad. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a good run. It's been great. You know, it's it's uh, it's given me the opportunity to to advance my my career in, in ways I didn't think I, I would be able to on product development side, on uh, product management side. And and really, more than anything, I would say my relationship with head has been extraordinary from the standpoint of the opportunities it's given me to travel over to Europe to get to know the global ski market, which is, you know, kind of finicky. You know, we we get into the microcosm of of the U.S. and North America, and and think that that's what drives global sales. And as as you guys know, it's not necessarily the case. What what fires in Europe is not necessarily what fires over here. And understanding all those nuances has been been really educational and really fun. But I would say the biggest thing is is getting to know personalities from Poland, Germany, Austria, Italy, Switzerland, Sweden. Um, you know, all of these these colleagues that I have in all these different countries and understanding their markets and and how they embed themselves in the ski industry 
and and how their families are involved in the ski industry and how that is has developed in their lives is probably the most interesting thing for me those relationships are are really unbelievable and 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 I real feel really uh really fortunate to have those industries and then certainly you talk about the individuals that are at our headquarters whether it's the the folks that run the ski division the boot division the binding division the snowboard helmet and goggle division those relationships have been outstanding and those people have become close friends and and helping me understand the the global nature of the ski business yeah I mean, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because it's something I wanted to ask you about because <clears throat> it's something that we see here at Ski Monster all the time. You know, talking about the global impact of a certain brand, right? So we sell a lot of skis and boots to kids from the Middle East and kids to from China because they come here for school. So it, it, when it, what's funny to us is we see trends, you know, especially when we're seeing them face-to-face, -face, you know, hey, man, how's it going? What do you need? What's the reason for new skis? What's the reason for new boots? And a lot of these kids, without even, you know, even making a recommendation, they want to buy head super shapes. That's just one example. And the reason being is, you know, you, so you, then you start to boil down why. And you say, well, oh, okay. Well, like, oh, well, well, when I was in Europe with my family on vacation, this is the skis we rented. Or I'm a big, I watch skiing on TV and then these are the skis are holding up at the podium. So they, they, they associate that with it being the best thing for them to get. What, regardless of skill set, right? And I, I, we always internally talk about like, it's funny, like this, this person skied a couple times and they're like, no, no, I'm buying the, I'm buying the the rally. Like that's what I'm buying. Yeah. I'm buying the rally and I'm going to buy a red and black boots to match. And like, you can't talk them out of it, which is fine. <laughs> I mean, you can just, you, you help them, you know, give as much information as you can and, and kind of guide them. But like, what do you think the, the impact like from, you know, from what you guys are doing and how kind of cool that is to see just because someone's holding, you know, maybe a, an high speed at, at the podium after they, you know, win, or you're in a bunch of rental shops in Europe that these kids immediately just come to America and then that's what they want to buy. Yeah, I mean it's it's you know as as we mentioned it's it's different in the U.S. and North America and and our perception of brands is different. Um, you know when when I came on board with Head, I had to learn a lot about the company because it wasn't a company that that I had a tremendous amount of experience with in the past. But to your point exactly, globally Head is an, an enormous company, yeah. and when when we do when they do surveys on recognizable brands globally, Head is within the top five of, of not just ski brands, I'm talking about sports brands. I'm talking about brands like Nike, Adidas. Head is right there with them. It is globally an extremely well-known brand. Um, there aren't many countries in the world that don't play some form of tennis. So we, we fire in, into that uh, market as well, obviously. Penn tennis balls are huge here in the US. In Europe, they're head tennis balls. So right. that brand is consistent throughout that proof portfolio. Um, but to the to the ski market in particular, um, you know, head is is a single brand, one of the biggest ski manufacturers and brands in the world. We kind of we go back and forth with Atomic. Um, and the guys at Atomic will tell you that they're the number one ski brand in the world. And the guys at Head will tell you that we're the number yeah. one ski brand in the world. And it we're usually separated by maybe five, 10,000 pairs of skis a year between the two companies. Um, and so that's a big deal. And when you talk about uh, a brand within a brand like Super Shape from Head, uh, that is a successful line for us in the US, but globally, it is probably one of the best selling categories within the global ski market. Um, when you look at the, the skis that are, are really popular within Super Shape, in the US, we do Rally and Titan 
as our best-selling super shape skis. But if you look at Central Europe, the 68 millimeter super shape speed and the 72 millimeter super shape magnum are two of the best-selling skis in the world. Not, not just in that market, but in the world. So to your point, if you go over and you ski in, in Lech or, or Zers um, in the in the Vorarlberg range uh, region of, of the Alps, or if you go over to Switzerland, um, you're gonna see a tremendous amount of head product and specifically a tremendous amount of head super shapes. Uh, those skis ski extremely well in on-piece conditions. As you guys know, I don't have to tell you, skiing on a groomer in Europe is different than skiing on a groomer even in New England. And the, the density of the snow, the moisture content, um, where having a really precise, narrow-waisted ski will make your day, on average, much better in Europe um, if you're on those skis that ski really well, like a Speed, like a Magnum. I can tell you when I'm over there, I'm not reaching immediately for a core ski like I would here. I'm reaching more for a Super Shape or a race performance like an E-Speed Pro uh, for, for our skis, uh, just because of the nature of the, the, the snow texture over there and, and how it sets up overnight. So, you know, a, a brand like Super Shape within the head portfolio is is really a brand unto itself for us from a global basis. I mean, we, we like I said, we, we see it you know live in action. So you're absolutely correct. And it's really cool. I mean, it's and kudos to you guys for creating such you know an awesome product that's actually a brand within a brand. And, and it's easy for retailers like us to be able to sell a product that it's already sold before before they even come in. So that makes it our life life easier. And it's funny that you mentioned Atomic because that's the other brand that they that they ask for, all the foreigners. So it's like header atomic and, and it's it's just like they just perceive that to be the best or the fastest, or it's like what they use before, or they see it when they watch ski racing on TV. So it's pretty, it's pretty cool that you mentioned that because that is the second brand that they'll ask yep. for. Um, and, and and it and it is it's super eye opening. I mean, you you've been over there enough now. Um, you know, Coop over the years we've talked about this, but uh, you know, I, I had the same experience when I was at Fisher the first couple of times going over to Europe, where it was like, all right, what's going on? Like everybody over here is on yep. like. Head Fisher, Atomic, you know, obviously, you know, Head Tyroli is a is an Austrian company as well, so you would think that. But, um, you know, I was asking this the sales guys, I'm like, all right, what, like, are you are you paying these people? Like, every other person in in the lift line is on a pair of you know either Heads or Fishers. So I was, I was really blown away. And then, you know, just like you said, over the years, it gave me a new perspective of how different the markets are, you know, and then getting to know those guys from all those other countries and like taking pieces of that and seeing what's working, um, you know, was, was, was really interesting over the years, but, um, but that, that brings up a good point. I mean, in your, in your tenure there and what you knew of had, I mean, you had a similar experience where you started with a company that you didn't necessarily gravitate towards to growing up skiing, you know, um, I had a similar experience where I, where I didn't know much about Fisher because it just wasn't very present, you know, where I grew up skiing. So, um, but in your experience, in, in your tenure there, I mean, how have you seen, how have you seen Head evolve over the years? Because I mean, it's, it obviously has really, really strong race heritage, still really strong in race, but um, you know, in your 12, 13 years there, what have you seen? Uh, you know, we've, it, it, if, if you look at our presence in the U.S. market, you can see that the change that head is, has evolved uh, 
uh, over the last 10 years. And um, Matt, I don't have to tell you, when you get on board with a European company, um, if you think you're just going to walk in and just make sweeping changes to how they relate to the North American market, you're you're uh, you're you're sorely misinformed. Um, so you know you can see uh, John Rucker and I both started together. John's president at USA. I'm I'm a VP, but um, our careers have have been aligned since we started working with Head. And the the biggest thing that we did when we started was we listened instead of just having opinions and saying this is our opinion we listened and we took a lot of time to develop what we thought were feasible trends that we saw in north america and the most important thing that we did from the product development side is we developed a relationship of trust with the division managers in europe and without doing that you're never going to get anywhere in the ski industry if you just come in guns a blaze and go and this is what i think this is what i think this is what i think you're you're going to get a heisman pretty hard you know they're not going to listen to you they're going to say you got that cocky north american attitude and you really don't know what you're talking about and and for the most part they're correct until you can really grasp the challenges of global market and making wines that fire in this area of the world as compared to this area of the world, and you can really diversify your product line, uh, you're not going to be a big global player. So the first thing that we did was develop trust within our our, our divisions and, and not bringing information like, this is what I think, it's this is what the market is telling us. This is what we're seeing. Here are the benchmark products. This is where we need to be. Here are the holes within our lines, whether it's skis, boots, bindings, helmets, goggles, snowboards. There's areas that you can identify where our weaknesses are and where our strengths are. And, and you know, th this is very indicative if you look at, at John and my career within HEAD. You know, we started around 2009, 2010. Core didn't come out until 2017, 18, you know, and that's really right. was the first ski uh, segment that we were able to sink our teeth in and we were allowed to sink our teeth in because it took us that long to develop that level of trust within the ski division where the, those guys could go, you know what, we can, we can confidently say we trust these guys. We know the information they're giving us is correct. Now let's get the ball rolling on product development. We're certainly not the engineers that are developing these skis, but we're telling them the shapes that we need to hit, the rocker profiles that we need to hit, the waist widths, the turn radiuses. We can plug all that stuff in and then the engineers work their magic and, and bring it all together. Let's look at some new materials. Let's look at how we can use a different type of wood or a different type of carbon to evoke different feelings within skis. And you've seen the head brand grow in that, that way because they've trusted our uh, product information and, and our market information that we're giving us. And, and I should say that's combined with Canada because we can't make things work unless we're on the same page with Canada. So John and I work closely with our counterparts in, in the Canadian uh, subsidiary so that as a North American group, we can speak with one voice. Because if if we've got a, a, a strategy in North America and it differs in, in Canada, guess what? The guys in Europe are gonna, yeah. they're gonna throw their hands up and yeah. go, you know what, you guys, you need to get your shit together because yep. we're not going to make American skis and Canadian skis. It's yep. got a fire for everyone. So core has really changed uh, the head 
view within the U.S. significantly. And if you look at our, our free skiing program, you see our athletes in the free ride world tour. You see our presence in ski movies now. You didn't see that 10 years ago, and you are seeing it now. We've got a great asset up in, in Whistler, Canada with James Heim, one of our ex-athletes. He's now a sales rep up in, in the Pacific Northwest in, in Canada, um, and he also runs our international team, uh, both free skiing and freestyle. So, you know, those are changes that we've evoked over the last 10 years that you didn't see from head 10 years ago. We had great athletes. We had Ewan Olsons. We had... Um, Johnny Mosley for a, a while. Um, those guys had a big impact on on our skis and the development of it, but not in the same way that that core has really caught fire and and bringing a new technology to the ski market and then having athletes approach us to suddenly get on the brand from a ski free skiing standpoint. I had no idea that core was your first project. That's pretty cool because I, yeah, I, I mean I, it was it was the first project that we were given freedom in where yeah. where they came to us and said, you tell us how to drive this bus and where it needs to go. And for better or for worse, you're going to own it. If this is successful, right. then kudos to you. If it's not, don't expect us to come back to you for a while asking for your input. And, and, right. and luckily, through a lot of work, it, it's, it's been successful and, and we're, we're continuing to work on it. We're, we're working on core for 2526, which will be a whole whole new core. Oh, nice. Oh, excellent. Because we did it really well. I mean, uh, because we could get it, which was kind of funny, but it's a whole other story. But we did really well with the with the predecessor, like kind of versions of Venturi. We sold so many of those Venturi 95s. And, you know, it was a great ski for what it was, but it, it's definitely not a head core by any means. Exactly. You know, the, the, the new, the head core following that was significantly nicer in, in all aspects, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and the Venturi was a little more one-dimensional, but at the time, that's what was offered. So it, it skied well, but to transition from that to go to the core series, it's, it's a big jump. And so I'm glad it, it's been so successful because it's a great, great lineup. Yeah. And it, it, to, to that point, it, it's important to know for us with, when we were educating Europe on, on what our market needs were, you know, the, 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 uh, the flight series, the predecessor to, to core, um, they, considered those are those are free ride skis. Those are just free riders that ski on those skis. And it took us a while to get them to understand that a free ride, quote unquote, ski that is 90 to 100 millimeters is not a free ride ski. It's an all mountain right. ski. In North America, that's an all mountain ski. And if we can look at it that way, then we can generate some numbers. Then we can put some technology and some ski ability together that will really hit a mark in the industry and, and create some numbers. And that core in 2017-18 through about 2020, oddly enough, was the best launch in the history of head skis from a wow. pure numbers standpoint. So it, it really was incredible to see. And it was, like I said, it was a it was a partnership. These guys said, we're going to trust you. And when you say we need to make a, a change, even in the last minute, which we did with, in particular, with the Core 93, uh, right before we went to serial production, we made a change in it. Um, it, it worked out and it, and it worked out really well and it, it, it repositioned us in the North American market significantly. So we're, yeah, we've I, been I ask, very excited. Yeah, because I was going to ask you about, you know, bringing that ski to market. Um, I didn't know it was your first, you know, kind of real project that you had your fingerprints all over, but 
I was going to ask you about the core because it has been so successful. So bringing that ski to kind of just piggyback what you just said, most successful launch in the history of head skis, which is awesome. But I mean, it's such a kind of a, a, a difficult sell for you at the time to go from like, hey, we're building these quote unquote free ride skis like the flight series. And then we're going to sell these skis, which are now quote unquote free ride skis. But it's so different if you just ski on them, right? You, you're like, these aren't even the same animal. Yeah. So like the, the, the you know, the basically pushing Europe to build that and say, hey, look, we're going to replace this with this new product. And I guess they're like, this isn't even the same customer. And you're like, well, it is. I mean, so what is that like to, to, to kind of convince them like, no, look, this is going to work. It's, you know, it's, it's about spending time with the people in those divisions, getting them over to the U S um, you know, back at that time period in, in the mid uh, 2010s, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18 on snow shows were they had, a, there was a national aspect to them. So we could bring the guys and gals over and, and show them what was firing graphically, show them what was firing, firing um, from a market standpoint. And, and then, you know, the lights would come on. Oh yeah, I am seeing it. Okay. I'm, I'm skiing these skis. I understand you're pointing me towards the benchmarks. I see the appeal of these skis when you're talking about a North American snowpack even from the East Coast all the way to the West Coast and how different those are, we can see some commonality in the way that these skis react in all of those different conditions. So it was really getting the folks over here, getting a first person perspective from the guys in the product development side of things for them to understand. Um, it was also us kind of wedging ourselves into saying we need to be part of the test team, John and I. We both have an extensive uh, history in ski testing. And once we got on board with the guys that were ski testing in Europe, they saw that we knew how, how to ski test, especially, you know, ski testing is can be a little finicky and a little different um, from what a lot of people probably assume it is. You know, right. a lot of people think you just go out there and you you, you put the wood to it and 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 try and and get everything <laughs> you can out of that ski and in yeah. a couple of runs. But you know we go through a very methodical process of of skiing skis on the same runs when you're in the development process and starting with a certain type of turn, sliding the ski, moving into a carve turn, and really defining a run and how each section of the run is hitting a different personality of the ski. And that's really how we work with the design development process. Then we get into deeper uh, testing where we take skis back over to North America, start testing them in deeper snow and cruddy snow and giving performance uh, evaluations uh, in those situations. But all ski testing, you know, you guys know it begins on groomed terrain and you've got to get the ski to perform on that terrain and to hit certain uh, noticeable benchmarks within its performance before you can take it into the soft snow and really get that soft snow personality working and making those small nuances to rocker profiles and, and effective edge and shape and, and where the width of a ski begins in the tip. All those kind of come secondary to getting that construction dialed in first on those groom conditions or those piece conditions. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you got to test on where the be the market is going to be skiing, you know, so, so you exactly. know exactly how it's going to feel for most people when they, when they get out there. And that, and that's a great point. I mean, I, I had a very similar experience where, you know, and, and you've been a part of enough focus groups to, to see it as well, but 
like you said, you build, building that trust with that team over there. And then finally you, you build that trust and then it's like, okay, you guys got to come over. And yes, there was, you know, these big national shows that, that they could take part of and see things, but it was, it was really when, you know, they took the time to, to travel through the territories, at least in, in my experience, some of the guys are like, man, a, your country is so big. I mean, Austria has some of the best skiing in the world, but it's the size of like North Carolina, yeah. you know? Um, so, you know, these guys would fly over and, we, and we'd, we'd take a tour through New England and they, you know, they were really good about seeing what people are skiing on and, and feeling and knowing the conditions. Then you go to the Midwest, you know, and then you go to, you know, Colorado, Utah. Then they're going out to Pacific Northwest and California. And my takeaway, those guys are like, dude, your country's so big. It, it honestly needs to be split up like collections need to be split up across your country. And they're finally seeing like, right. okay, people in the East are skiing these type of skis on this type of terrain. People in the Midwest are doing this. People in the far West are doing this. Um, so it was almost like a light bulb for those guys too. And then, you know, again, you just build that trust and it's like, okay, now they're, now they're starting to see what our needs are and what people are skiing on. And at the time, you know, ski tests were, were a big thing and carried some clout. And I think they did help a lot of the the European brands, at least on the US side, when they came out with these buyer's guides and they're like, hey, here's the all mountain category, which is 90 to 100. And, and you know- the They scratched like, their head like, yeah, what? wait like, a minute. Yeah, 90, <laughs> 90, those are powder skis. It's too big, you know? too wide. Yeah, um, but yeah, for sure. I, I, I think that that building that trust and getting those guys over to the US and North America up in Canada as well. And, um, you know, that, that was big turning point. And, and to your point, Matt, nothing develops trust more than when you feed the, the, the folks that are in charge of these divisions information um, that you're pulling from the market, that you're taking directly from the market. They come over and then they talk to your customers, your dealers, right. and the dealers are echoing the same thing you just told them. That's when the light goes on. That's when they go, these guys aren't full of shit. They're actually, right. they're not giving us what they think. They're giving us what the market is asking for. Right. Um, and the challenge to that is knowing what the market's going to ask for in four to five years. And that right. is where things can get a little stickier and, and a little bit more complicated. But if you can, if you can get them over and the people that you put them in front of are saying the same things that you told them six months ago, that's when that ball starts rolling. That's when the light yeah. light bulb goes off and, and they say, yeah, they, these guys are on the right page. They, their, their momentum, their trend is, is moving in the right direction. Yeah. yeah I mean, you're just giving them the feedback that, you, that you're receiving from, from the market. Yeah, and that, that's ultimately the, the number one right. aspect of my job. And so you, you had mentioned you're working on the new core, which is probably pretty exciting. Um, um, so you had mentioned benchmarks as well in the previous one. So what do you guys feel right now with other ski companies? Like who's doing stuff that, that you're kind of like, okay, that's pretty rad. Like what are you using for benchmarks besides the, the previous version of the core to kind of develop this new product? Well, I mean, I mean, to your point, it's, you know, these processes are always evolving. You, you right. never, you never get a ski and go, all right, this is it. We've hit it, you know? And, and as we brought core into uh, the range, we, we ruffled a lot of feathers um, we took, we had a market share that we didn't have previously, and um, we brought some technologies and some materials to the market that weren't 
being used on a, on a mass basis. So in that time, since 2017, 18, uh, a lot of companies have, have changed their, their, uh, their approach towards these skis. And, and the market is once again, super competitive. And, you know, I would say, um, you know, looking at benchmarks, um, whenever we're testing, we always have competitor skis there. Uh, and, you know, it's hard to, to not point to, let's say, a Nordica Enforcer right now and how that's driving the market um, and, and leading a, a lot of areas of the country in sales. So those are skis that we've taken a long look at and, and tried to understand what is driving the performance of that ski. Um, you know, Blizzard is right there in the same family. There's a lot of great things going on. I mean, it, it's it, it's it's no different than than the bike industry, and you guys understand this. Out of the main players, no one's building bad skis these days. It's right, right. It, you know how your ski evokes emotion with that particular audience, um, how the performance is hitting a different note. Um, you you want to make great skis like everyone else, but you want to give them a unique personality that the consumer is going to strive to get on. And, and that's something that we did with Core, and that's something that we're looking to remake in the new Core. Um, you know, Rossi Senders are great skis. Solomon QSTs are great skis. There's there's a lot of really good product out there. I mean, I'd be negligent if I didn't mention Vocal. You know, Vocal still is is one of the best selling skis in in the country, um, based upon its performance, its quality, uh, its durability. All those things wrapped into into one. Um, you know, and the coolest thing in the ski business is I know all these folks, and they know me, and, and yeah. we're friends. We have great a great level of competition but we're friendly to each other and we talk to each other and we're, we're always trying to learn from each other. Um, the other thing that, that I think is probably the most important aspect to ski development moving into the future is the skier has changed Yeah. and what a skier wa wants has changed and how a skier relates to a ski and the performance of the ski has changed. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not a young buck anymore, so I'm, I'm not driving the way skiers ski. I ski a little bit more old school. I like to ski, work a ski from, from tip to tail and really feel a progressive flex and, and a softer tip and moving and building stiffness in the ski and getting that reactiveness and rocking off the tail of that ski. Even in powder, I like to rock off the tail of the ski, get the ski up out of the snow. I think a lot of younger skiers, men and women, are skiing a little bit more centered these days. They want a boot that's a little bit more upright. They want a ski that they can get the ski to do everything they want, but from a much more centered position on the ski. So now as, as, as ski developers, we need to understand that technique and build that into our next phase of skiing and making skis that you can stay in a more centered position. Maybe the widest part of the tip comes back a little bit further than we've thought in the past. Maybe a super long effective edge isn't as important as it was 10 years ago. Maybe it's a little less important now and adding a little bit more of a progressive rocker profile with an extended tip profile is a way to go as opposed to bringing the width of the ski really far up like we do in say our race performance skis. So, you know, all those little nuances change from year to year to year and especially can change in how the skier relates to the ski. Yeah, and I think that's something that's, that's either not thought about probably at the consumer level or, or definitely overlooked 
um, you know, technology and, and skis and what's trending is one thing, but like, I mean, you made a really good point about people have evolved how they ski. I mean, obviously we saw it happen when it went from straight skis to, to shape skis and now, you know, fully rockered skis and that pendulum swung back. So I think, again, that's one of those things that makes, you know, your job manufacturers jobs tough. And it goes back to building that trust with, you know, with the motherland who's building the products and saying, okay, not only have, has the ski technology changed, but skiers themselves have changed and, and they're, and they're changing differently than they are over in Europe. Um, and you, and you bring up technology and advancements. And I think kind of quietly head has really been at the forefront for a lot of years on, on advancements, um, either quietly or Coop, you know this well, everybody knows this well, but the ski industry is, is very good at, you know, kind of pounding their chest about innovation. Everybody talks about innovation, 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 and, um, here's the features, here's the features, here's the features, not necessarily as much about the benefits. Um, you know, how are you guys navigating because you're using these different materials that people are not using? Um, you know, we should talk about the protector binding, which we can go into, but you know, how, how are you trickling that down to the consumers where you're making it digestible? So it's not just a bunch of marketing jargon. Yeah, it's, you know, you, you you bring up a good point, Matt. I think as a brand, our engineers are, are very open to looking at new materials and new technology. I think you're spot on there. We, we've we've embraced it with, with piezo materials that we've used in the past, uh, carbon materials, Karuba wood cores, things of, of that nature we've we've brought in. And our engineers are, are very into materials and new materials. Now, not only are we looking at performance materials, we're looking more at sustainable materials. You know, everything is is constantly evolving and, and changing and, and how we focus on the build of the ski and the materials that go into it. Uh, vice versa, we, we also are very traditional in certain ways because, you know, when you look at what Howard had brought to the market um, years ago in the, in, the, in the 50s and early 60s, that metal laminate construction that he pioneered, you cut our race skis apart. That's what they are, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and, and so you, you've got to balance that. You got to understand where that traditional metal laminate 90 degree sidewall layup comes into play for that ski racer. And then where that consumer can benefit from new materials, more sustainable materials um, and, and materials that can make them a better skier. You know, with core in particular, we looked at, using materials and trying to buck the trend of, of lightweight skis being unnerving and not stable and not performance driven. And I think we really, we took the market to a different place with core by doing that. The goal with those materials was to make the skier more efficient on snow. And our idea there was if we could give them a slightly lighter ski, a slightly lighter swing weight on their, on their feet and the levers that, that create uh, that, those forces on the lower legs and the lower body, which are the skis, if we could make them a little bit more efficient and, and, and make the skier thus more efficient, we can bring a smile to their face longer, they can ski longer during the day, and they can enjoy their vacations longer. So we, we are constantly embracing, and, and I'd say the biggest thing is, is every time you look at a new material or a new technology, it's not going to fire. It's not going to always work. And we're willing to 
put some investment in some new technologies and some new materials with the understanding that, hey, this might not work. But then again, maybe we're onto something here that we didn't even understand the capacity when we first started looking at it. I mean, we, you know, John and I skied with, with a couple of engineers earlier this season that had some new technologies um, that were really, really interesting. And those technologies might come to play five, six, seven years down the road. They might come into play two years down the road. They might not come into play at all. You know, <laughs> you, you take these technologies and and the biggest impact in, in bringing some of these technologies to, to play within ski construction is, is there an economy of scale? Is there a production process that we can work with to use these technologies? You know, it's, I don't have to tell you guys when you're developing molds and things like that, it's a costly process, whether it's a ski mold or a boot mold. Um, with bindings for us, it's it's really interesting because at Tyrolia, we build everything ourselves. The only thing that we source uh, as a manufacturer are pins, springs, and screws. Everything else in the Tyrolia binding is built by us, and the machine that builds that is built by us. So it's, you know, those engineers are are on a whole different level. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's, you, it's really you, cool. You guys seeing some some good success with that with the new binding with protector yeah it's and yeah. it's you know the the ski industry is always a little cautious when adopting new technologies um but we are seeing a lot of success with protector and a lot of consumer interest you know i mean the, the when you look at the surveys they do on, on what is what is keeping you from from getting involved in winter sports usually the number one reason is injury that a, that a consumer gives or, or fear of injury, especially from an adult that didn't develop the, their knowledge of winter sports as, as, a, as a child. Um, so this is gonna go a long ways to helping us bring new skiers into the market and into, into the, the sport with less focus on injuring themselves by creating a, a heel piece that can address a backward twisting fall um, we're, we're, we're really changing the game on level of safety that, that the average con consumer can, can buy into for a, a small upgrade. Yeah. Cause we, we, we obviously get a ton of questions about the bonding, right. At the point of purchase, yeah. like, and so, you know, obviously mostly about the heel because that's, what's marketed. Like, this is what's going to be safer, you know? And I used to have, I think we probably all did at some point had like an old diagonal heel, you know, on like a system binding of some kind. And it's clearly not just a full, rebrand of that because it has it, it operates very differently you know but it's still it's still a little bit more difficult to to explain to the person like when you're standing there like what is it it obviously has a din but what exactly you know why is this safer like like why because you can't really show them you know really you know so like if i you know if you were going to explain to me right now like why it's safer so everyone can understand um how would you do that so to to really boil it down into into let's we're, we're on the shop floor we're talking you're, right. you're my consumer i'm the salesperson yep. when you look at falls on skis they usually are classified in two ways forward twisting falls you're usually you're falling forward and the body is, is shifting position and, and twisting in some manner um, vertical release bindings and in particular diagonal release bindings that we developed which which have a 150 degree range of of release values um, those will help in forward twisting falls. Okay. Unfortunately, the most common injuries in skiing are knee injuries. 
And the only way that, that a knee is affected in skiing most of the time is by backward twisting falls. And the only way a binding can affect a backward twisting fall is by having a pure lateral release mechanism. Um, there's only one other binding that, that previously was on the market that achieved this. And it was not bilateral in its release. It's only in, in one direction, as you guys know. And we changed the game with Protector by not only creating a lateral release, but a lateral release that's built on mechanics. So our binding, it not only releases laterally, which that will affect backward twisting falls. Um, and it doesn't have the, the toe of the binding in that situation has no effect. And, and we know this because we can put the protector heel on a RX toe, which has 180 degree release spectrum, full vertical release capabilities. And we can put it on an attack toe, which has no vertical release capabilities. So as we know, horizontal spring bindings can only release to the side in the toe. They can't release vertically because of the placement of the spring. So we can still get the same amount of protection by pairing a protector heel with an attack toe as we do with an RX toe, even though the nature of those toes mechanically are very different. And that's because that lateral heel movement is really what drives the protection of the knee in backward twisting falls. Um, a lot of people will assume that, that a look pivot has a lateral release mechanism to it. And anyone at look will tell you that's not the case. There's those two bars that go down and envelop the boot um, that doesn't allow you to release laterally. What it allows you is more elastic travel in the heel to keep you into a binding longer if you want to stay in it. Um, but with the, with the FHR, the full heel release mechanism, in the uh, protector binding, it's it's built off of two movements, seven millimeters of bilateral travel. So you've got seven millimeters bilaterally of elastic travel there that pick up all those little nuances while you're skiing over the snow. So it actually gives you better shock absorption. And if you do a, 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 a same ski to same ski comparison, non-protector to protector binding, you'll notice a, a feel that is damper out of that ski because you have that compliance with the seven millimeters. If you get into a situation where that seven millimeters is maxed out, then the heel, the turntable heel, will rotate up to 30 degrees to evoke a pure lateral release. So it's a two-step process on that binding. And it's that lateral release that will protect your knee. If you take all of the information out of any ski manufacturer's or any ski binding manufacturer's box, and this goes for our attack bindings with a pure vertical release in the heel, the, the notification to the consumer is that these bindings will protect the lower leg, but there will be no mention of the knee because it can't protect the knee in a vertical release. You have to evoke a lateral release to protect the knee. Unfortunately, that's just the way it is. So when we talk about ski bindings, and we have for the past 25 years, before we produced lateral release me uh, mechanisms, the consumer automatically assumes that a knee binding is designed to protect your knee. And that has never been the case up until the last few years with the advent of the knee binding. And now the, the even further uh, uh, production of the protector binding and taking that technology to a whole nother level. But that's always been the assumption by the consumer. 
But right. bindings have always been designed to protect the lower leg and have not been able to protect the knee. Yeah, that's a good nugget. That, I, I like that. that that's, yeah. that's good. That's good. Um, I mean, that's kind of the gist of what I was saying, but not nearly as articulate. So that was that was good. <laughs> and, 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 and that stuff, you know, obviously there's there's each manufacturer has a binding tech manual that shops get. And, and, you know, we always preach to people to get their bindings, you know, adjusted by a certified technician. Um, and Coop knows this very well, because when I was at Fisher, they, they used Tyrolia binding. So I was bothering Coop every single year about tech manual stuff. You know, um, Tyrolia is still number one largest manufacturer bindings in the world, right? L largest manufacturer, not the largest brand but the largest right. manufacturer, because obviously we build multiple brands. Yep. Um, so Coop had to deal with, you know, me and multiple other people from yep. brands on tech manual stuff. Yep. Um, and obviously it's, it's, it's the most common legal issue in skiing, you know, when people have a traumatic injury and then they want to blame the equipment and, and that type of thing. So, um, no, it's, a, it, it, it's an exciting, again, a piece of innovation that I think, is catching on because we get asked about it a lot. I think you brought up a really good point that people think that, that that look pivot has the same technology as the protector binding, which it clearly doesn't. Um, and then, you know, making another good point about how skiing style has changed and, and what people's priorities are. And I think, you know, staying skiing longer is, you know, at, and easier is a big priority right now versus, you know, 20 years ago, it was performance, performance, performance now. And I think when we were skiing with Jay uh, Leventhal up at Stowe, you know, we kind of asked him a similar question. He's like, people just want to go have a good time and not get beat up. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's that pendulum swinging again, where, you know, 20 ish years ago and, and even before it was, everything was these, you know, two sheets of metal, laminated skis, performance, performance, stiff boots. And now it's people want to go ski for a day and, and not get beat up and, and, yeah. and feel safe. So um, cool, cool, cool technology advancement that I think, you know, the hardest part is having that trickle down to the consumers. So I think this, this does a good job. Yeah. I mean, again, the needs of the consumer have changed and we could, we, we see it when you're just out there skiing, Never mind, you know, when you're talking to them here. Uh, I mean, I mean, to the to the point in a, in a different in a different uh, environment, but to the same point, the World Cup is constantly looking at how they can make ski racers safer, and and the binding is a big part of that. And that they're kind of hit a roadblock, but there there are technologies that you're probably going to see come down that that will be used in a in a scope of all racers that will affect bindings and release mechanisms and things like that so yeah. i can tell you it's even at the highest level it's something that is constantly being considered and and how we make the 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 sport safer but for the average consumer i mean us involved as well i mean i've been through nine knee surgeries one's a, a full knee replacement i don't want to do that anymore i don't want to have to take <laughs> two months off every yeah. couple of years to recover from a knee surgery I've, got kids. My wife's not going to be happy with me if I'm doing that. And, you know, yeah, we, yeah. we all want to get back to, we want to go ski and then we want to get back to our life. So, um, you know, it's, and it's great to provide this level of, of product to really allow a skier to get out there, feel comfortable, enjoy themselves and get back to their daily life. And I, and I think we're seeing that, which is really cool on the manufacturer side where again, the, the ski industry is, is, or has been truly a, a, 
a top-down innovating industry where you know everything started at the World Cup, and if it got if it got proven at the World Cup, it was good enough for your normal everyday consumer. Um, and what's really cool in the last you know ten years or so is is we're seeing manufacturers developing products that that aren't tested and tried and you know performing at a World Cup level because vast majority of people don't need that. You know, um, we've seen a number of boots that we've been involved with in the last few years that you know weren't weren't tested by you know, those athletes and they were tested by, you know, shop employees and normal skiers and stuff like that. So I think, um, yes, there's, there's a need for that top down performance in, in certain areas, but you know, vast majority of the, the people who are out there skiing are not at the top of the pyramid. No. And the evolution of boots has been incredible too, especially for as long as you've been at head. So, I mean, the boots that you probably saw when you first started, to what you guys are building now, like, I mean, it's like night and day. I remember, I remember, you know, when I first started selling boots, like probably what would have been 2005, 2005, 2004, something like that, 2006. You know, we were, we were selling like head edges with like the double, <laughs> like the, you know, like the, the, the double torque buckle, you know, so you yeah, can yeah. get your, and for, so going from that to basically what you're making now to like this consumer based, you know, Raptor boot that's like, insane in technology and fit in the whole thing. I mean, you've got to see it go from, you know, one to the other. Like what's that kind of been like as far as like being, you know, there behind the curtain? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, the, the boots are, are a finicky thing and it's, it's, it's amazing how in boots, like if you change one thing, how it can completely change the dynamic of, of that product. But, um, you know, it's the relationship between a foot and a hard plastic shell is never easy. It's never easy. And, you know, the, I would say the biggest thing that has developed outside of what we've seen in, in just in the last year or two um, has really been the relationship of the liner and the liner to the shell and really, you know, creating a product where where everything is designed together. Um, you know, when I was fitting boots in the late 90s, early 2000s, you take the liner out of a boot and you look at the interior of the shell and you go, these, these <laughs> work. look like they were designed by completely different people. I don't think they've ever talked to each other, you know, and then you put it in and it, it crease and, you know, you, you know, you, you put the consumer's foot in there. Oh, I've been in a boot that's three times too small. What are you doing to me? And um, so, you know, that, that relationship has changed dramatically. Um, the materials that we can use in the shell have changed dramatically that the advent of grip walk, um, has been great for the average consumer. It's great for kids. Hopefully it'll get to a point where we can make it more affordable um, so that the rental consumer can benefit from a technology like this. You know, nobody needs a boot that they can walk in easier more than a rental consumer. But and that's a that's a that's a perfect example of that top down. And obviously it comes down to price, but we talk about this often when you know we see people walking in, in boots and you're like, man, grip walk, the innovation of grip walk is meant for, you know, for new, new, ski, new skiers, yeah. kids. I mean, it's great for every, it's great for everybody, but like, those are the people who want and need it the most, mm -hmm. you know, that, I mean, that's, that's an innovation that's going to help retain skiers, you know, at right. the beginning. So seeing that and being like, okay, why are we, we're putting grip walk on, on $900 boots, but we're not putting them on, on $300 boots and kids boots. But, um, but great point. I mean, that, that's the reason why, like you said, it's, it's a, it's a cost, it's a cost game. Right. 
Yeah. And, and really the materials that we're using in the liner, um, their, their, their ability to withstand use and pack out is got is improved significantly. We use a technology called liquid fit uh, in, in our higher end boots that really allows you as a boot fitter within five to 10 minutes to evoke a heel pocket that would be similar to what we used to foam, um, you know, 10, 15 years ago, which was literally a three-day process to get that foam dialed in. You know, our, our highest echelon athletes on the World Cup still use foam boots, but you'd be surprised how small that percentage is now. And a lot of the, the guys and gals are using our standard liners with some adaptation and also using our liquid fit liners. We have a lot of athletes that are using our liquid fit liners now. Um, it's also become a really good technology for guys like Aaron Blunk, um, the ski and a half pipe that can have that really super solid heel hold, but not create a cast or, around the foot. Because I can tell you, um, from my knowledge with athletes, there's nothing worse landing switch than landing switch in a foam liner. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little abrasive. Um, yeah. So, but it, it really has come, the boots have come a long ways in, in just the out of the box fit, the materials and how those materials work around the foot and, and how we can, we can get the, the new consumer um, to put a ski boot on and not have it feel so, so foreign to them. You know, back 20 years ago, if you had somebody that never skied in, in their life and they were, let's say, in their mid-30s and you put them in a ski boot, that was pretty much the end of the situation. Well, th yeah. this is not happening. I'm not going to wear this thing for eight right. hours. Are you crazy? And now we, we have, we've understood the different shapes of feet. We have different uh, widths and 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 lasts within one line, you know, so we can we can accommodate that narrow foot, we can accommodate that medium volume foot or that high volume foot essentially into one to two lines so that the, the boot fitter, you guys are not reselling them on a different look, on a different marketing story. Okay, this low volume boot doesn't fit your foot. Well, I've got the medium volume here. It's the same boot. It's just a, a higher volume last. Let's drop you in. Boom, done. You're not re-educating them on a new boot or a new look or a new technology. And that allows you, it's no different than what the shoe companies are doing. They're now creating shoes for different types of feet. We're creating boots for different types of feet. The days of having a Lang foot Technica foot, yeah. foot, Nordica <laughs> foot, those days are over. And, and, you know, we used to battle with that where, you know, when I was originally fitting boots, I'd look at the foot and go, that's a Lang foot. I'm going to put you in a Lang boot. That's a head foot. I'll put you in a head boot. Just by knowing the nuances of how those lasts were developed. Now we have a much broader fit range within each company and it makes finding that right boot a lot easier for the consumer. In the, in the, the, the introduction of the millimeter to, to the retailer and then now to the consumer over the last what five six <clears throat> seven years yeah yeah <laughs> excuse me that that's made it a little bit easier for you to, for us as a retailer to convey to like oh this is a you know low volume mid mid volume high volume it's, it's it's more like a that's a known thing now where back you know 15 years ago like we that wasn't really talked about really to the consumer you know it was like this is to your point like oh this is your foot is going to fit in this and this is why now people come in and they're like oh i'm looking for like 100 millimeter you're like how do you even know that right you know? yeah <laughs> you're not supposed to know that yeah but at the at, at the same time it, it's it's also it's also very difficult because you know, a hundred millimeter from one company oh, is course. a whole lot different than a hundred yeah. millimeter for another company. And I think, I think now 
having companies, and yes, it's more SKUs, but I think it's, it's so smart to have those low volume, mid volume, high volume, you know, models, even if they, I mean, to, to be honest, in my opinion, even if they all look the same, the same graphic, you just know that, okay, your low volume, your mid volume, your high volume is great because Coop, this was probably at the, at the end of your retail days. Um, but what, I mean, you got to bring up S-Pro, you know, S-Pro, S-Pro came out and it was the number one selling boot in the world for a really long time. Um, and that was a quote unquote, hundred millimeter last, Yep. you know, and it was just like you said, traveling around, talking to, talking to retailers. They're like, this, this S-Pro boot is beating out everybody else. It's the, it's the first fit. They put their foot in it and they're like, oh my God, this is so comfortable. This is great. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to go with this. Um, and those have come, those have come a long way too, but at, at the beginning, you know, those were boots that you talked about liners packing out that it was a very, very generous, very generous 100. And then that liner would pack out and all of a sudden you're like, you, you got a 108 boot that you thought you were in a 100, you know? Right. Um, but they, it but, was a great, it was a great strategy that yeah. worked and, 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 you know, to their credit, designing a boot that from the mid tarsal back really holds the foot and allows the forefoot to be kind of in this open void and articulate and move and do whatever it wants. You know, to, to say that that hasn't endured and that all boot companies kind of look at that strategy. Yeah. And, um, you know, certainly we we like to be very particular about our measurements and, and how we evoke uh, those those numbers. Um, but it, there's a lot to be said there and it, it even goes to a custom insole, you know, when, when yeah. I was first building a custom insole, we posted that forefoot and we locked out any movement in that forefoot, you know, and everyone got embarrassed and you just <laughs> torque them to the, you know, to the, to the end all be all of, of what a, a, a mobile foot could withstand. And, you know, now if you look at most insole systems, I don't have to tell you guys, you know, there, to have the forefoot articulate is what everyone wants to do, makes the foot more comfortable. So we, you know, our knowledge in regards to um, feet, in regards to centrifugal forces and, and all those things that a ski situation and those forces that a ski situation puts on a foot, we can make them a lot more comfortable now. We can make the consumer much more co comfortable for a longer period of time, just knowing what we know now. Yep. And Coop, I, I have to ask you because you mentioned a couple of times, you know, we keep talking about, you know, from the, from the top down kind of a situation with, from the world cup. Um, and now you have these free ride athletes that are on their free ride stuff. And you're seeing that you're seeing head and stuff that you didn't see 10 years ago, which is super cool. But also like from a race heritage brand perspective, I mean, you guys have had some of the most incredible athletes on head um, as far as like, bigger names, you know, so you've been there during that, during that time. So like, what's that kind of been like, you know, as like an industry leader in the world cup and seeing some of these guys and gals stay on, well, first of all, getting them on the product, but also retaining them and keeping them on, on head. Um, because it's been a really good run for you guys. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's been a good run for us. And it, it's, it's, um, it's based upon the, the foundation of the product. You know, when you, when you're getting an athlete to switch or to stay with a company, it's all based upon testing. Um, but you really don't understand it until you get into the mix of it, how much uh, the individuals that represent our race uh, team, how important they are. Um, we've got a guy named Reiner Salzgaber uh, who runs our World Cup team, and he and his staff are second to none on the World Cup. 
and I'd be I'd be shocked if anyone else on the World Cup from any other company said anything different. They hold a tremendous amount of respect in the World Cup, and they are professional in every way. And and that is that's the backside, or or, or what you don't see going on in the back rooms. That the product is is absolutely the number one decision, but second to that is who is managing the product, who's listening to the athlete, who's doing that, those nuances to the boot fitting, who's taking the time to set up that ramp angle properly, who's taking the time to get out there in the summer and make sure that everything is evolving the right way that we're listening to that athlete. And that really comes down to the people in the race department. And, and to work with those folks from, from my viewpoint has been unbelievably gratifying. And they're just great people. They love what they do. They're so passionate. Um, and that's, like I said, I think that's a side of, of racing that you don't really see or know unless you're really involved in it. And it's it's a really cool aspect that, of, and, of our business. And that's probably something not many people know that when you, when you get to, and it's not everybody, but when you get to a certain level, you know, you're provided a technician from, from the manufacturer, you know, you might, you might share a technician between a few world cup athletes, but, um, you know, that's, that's a really important part for some of these athletes. Just like you said, who's building my boots, who's tuning my skis, you know, and how tied in with the manufacturer are they? So I think, I think, um, you know, it's very apparent for you guys on the race side and it has been for a long time, you know, with, the, with the Lindsey Vaughn's with the, the Ted, Lig Ted Ligeties, Bodie, you know, all those guys that, that you guys um, have played a big part in their career that obviously they're, they love the product. They got well taken care of um, to follow up, you know, the age old question, how, how do you feel that, you know, and I think Lindsay probably breaks the mold because she's more of a household name, but um, you know, how much are these athletes driving sales of the skis? In Europe, in a huge way, right? Obviously, you know it, it makes it, it. You're in Austria, and there's been a ski race the 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 day before. The number one lead in the news, in the national news, is the ski race. It's not politics. It's right, right. Definitely not definitely not American football and ski racing. But, no, and, um, and that's that's because you know skiing skiing is is part of life there. I mean, it's it, it's just different. Um, but I apologize for interrupting. You keep going though. No, I mean, in, in the U.S., it, it definitely has a big impact on our race sales, for one thing. You know, certainly those junior racers, they have their eye on the World Cup. They see what moves are being made there. They see who's aligning themselves with what companies. And that has a big effect in our race sales, which is a really important segment for us in the U.S. and in Canada. Um, as far as as far as those race athletes really making a big impact on our retail sales, I would say it, it it is cyclical along the the cycle of the Olympics, and and when when our brand gets into every household because they've got the Olympics on that night and they're watching the ski race wherever the Winter Olympics are going on, then then we can see and we we hear from our dealers that there's been an additional interest in the brand, but I, I would say it's you know the the U.S. consumer for the most part is not really knowledgeable about ski racing. Yeah. Um, and it's probably the biggest shame with ski racing is it's such a cool sport. What these guys and girls are doing is so outrageously dangerous to 
Yep. And impressive. It's it's crazy. And, and impressive that there is no visual technology that that captures this. You know, even with drones, with everything else that's going on out there, with with the ability to capture these unique moments, you still can't evoke the pitch that these these guys and right. gals are skiing down. You can't evoke the speed with what, unless you're standing on the side of a World Cup course, you will never understand how absolutely bonkers what they're doing is. And standing on standing on injected snow, if you can actually stand, if you can actually stand on it, is is an experience in its own. I mean, it's it's insane. And, um, and for and that it, point, it's it's no different than seeing. Cole Richardson throw, you know, a 720 off of a 45 footer with consequences all around him in the landing, you know, right. until you're there experiencing that firsthand, it's hard to understand what those guys and gals are actually doing. What, what goes on in the free ride world tour compared to what went on in the free ride world tour 10 years ago Yeah, is it's like a different sport. It's, yep. it's totally crazy. Yeah. And it's, it's so hard for people here to, unfortunately, to, to watch skiing, whether it's free ride world tour has gotten a little bit easier, you know, uh, with live streams and stuff like that. But, you know, that's the other shame in North America is it's, it's really tough to, to get the broadcast to watch ski racing or, you know, any major ski event. What, what's crazy to your point, Matt, is I would say it's easier to watch the free ride world tour than it is to watch the world cup ski racing. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, it's insane. It's confusing for me, and you know, it's part of my job, and I love it. And I each race, I have to figure out which platform's broadcasting that race. So, right. Um, but it's it's cool. I mean, that's for us with with the development of our athletes. For us, it's it's especially gratifying to see the development of our free skiing athletes with guys like Aaron Blunk in the U.S. Jasper Chater over in, in in Europe now with Cole Richardson leading our 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 free skiing movement um, and big mountain movement and we've we've brought out a uh, a signature collaboration with Cole in the Oblivion 116 and he put a lot of input in our Oblivion 102 which I think we're going to see a lot of movement in those skis and progression in those skis for us as a brand which you know the market hasn't really looked ahead for that stuff in a long time but um to see the way that these athletes are, are firing we've got a new guy in in the US um Xander Gouldman out of the Tahoe area um, he's a huge athlete that we just brought on board in the last year. You'll see him in the matchstick production um, uh, uh, Giants video that's coming out this fall. Uh, he's super exciting. And just to see these young guys and gals and, and what they're doing and and the fact that they want to be part of our brand is is really, really gratifying. Yeah, that's cool. It, it sh cool. shows the breadth of the of the line now, too. It's not, you know, you're not just considered a you know a race a race brand a world cup brand where you you've got you've got people <clears throat> excuse me succeeding in in all those different areas which is really cool um another thing you mentioned quickly you you glazed over it but um i think we'd be dumb not to bring it up because it, it is it's trending right now like it or not whether it it's affecting somebody's buying decision or not um is sustainability and, and what you guys are doing on that front as far as you know, becoming more sustainable. I mean, we've done a bunch of uh, factory tours in the last couple of years. We're going to another one here over in Europe in, in August. And that's been 
a big focus uh, from the manufacturers that they're really touting, you know, what they're doing on the, on the sustainability side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, we're in in the next two years, you're going to see a lot more of sustainability technologies come out from that. Um, Because obviously it's, it's, you can't really take new sustainable materials and just push them into existing products. Right. You have to design those products with the materials in mind. So we're constantly doing self uh, analysis on our carbon footprint, how we can reduce that. And certainly one of the biggest aspects and, and areas that we can reduce it is in our manufacturing process. The interesting thing, and Matt, I think you could probably understand this as well as anyone, in dealing with European-based manufacturing companies, sustainability is is new to the U.S. market, but it's been going on in Europe for decades, right. and it was it's just a given. No one talked about it, but they always did it because it was the logical thing to do. Why wouldn't we want to be more sustainable? Why wouldn't we want to be able to ensure that our industry is able to move forward into the future? So, you know, a lot of these practices that are being highlighted at the moment have actually gone on for the last few decades, um, just based upon the the need for the market to uh, to be self-sustainable, um, you know, and, and minimizing waste and, and, and reusing materials not only is it good for the environment, but it's good for business because you're 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 getting the most out of those materials. But we are we're we're looking at a lot of uh, uh, advancements in in bio based uh, 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 materials that mimic plastic, um, especially as we move forward in in bindings. Um, that's a, a big segment. Uh, we're also using it, uh, looking at it in plastics for boots as well. Um, we've been batting the ideas. Uh, you've seen some of it with, with say, Rosignol with their project with the ski. Um, we've we determined about five years, six years ago, how to make a ski that we could literally strip back down and reuse the materials from the ski. The sticking point there is how do we get it out of the consumer's hand back into our hand to do that, or how do we get the the, the dealer to buy into a, a, a product? that then could be repurposed and brought back into the market. You know, how do you, how do you evoke leasing versus buying um, from a retail standpoint? Those are, those are, are issues that, that are hard to get past from a standard sales perspective. Um, But we, a lot of this, this is kind of a difficult question for me to answer because a lot of what we're doing is products that you will see us unveil yeah, in the yeah. fall, us unveil in another year. Uh, we've got um, products that are using recycled material in helmets and in goggles coming out in the fall. Um, I probably shouldn't say this right now, but I will. You're going to see some touring products come out from us in the fall um, for 24-25. They're going to be using some bio-based materials in there. Um, so it, it is... It's. I hate to say that it's it's a marketing story, but it is a marketing story in some ways. But it also should be looked at from improving our environment. I mean, you open up the the, the your your news feed these days, and and it's obvious what's going on in the world, and we need to pay more attention to it. So it's something that we're actively doing. I mean, it's you know from from the amount that our our employees are commuting 
um, and, and lending the carbon emissions and commuting and traveling to manufacturing uh, practices to the resulting products from those manufacturing pro processes. I can assure you we're looking at every aspect of that and how we can become more sustainable, how we can reduce our carbon footprint, um, because we don't have to be geniuses to understand that our business is based off of snowfall. And right. the current trends certainly put that in question. And um, if you go spend some time over in glaciers in Europe, it's it's uh, staggering what, what I can see in the last 10 years of going to glaciers and visiting those glaciers on a yearly basis and seeing how they're affected. Um, so it, we are we are looking at sustainability in, in every aspect of our business and there is no product collection that we are not looking to use more sustainable products in right now, or materials, I should say. Nice, yeah. And like I said, I don't, I don't think, unfortunately, you know, at the, at the ski wall or when people are trying boots on, when yeah. you can tell them that this product's more sustainable than any other competitor and, and it's unfortunate. I don't think that plays a part, but, uh, but big picture wise, I think it's important to know that, you know, as an industry, we're trying to be more, more sustainable in general. And, and, and that, I mean, Coop, you brought up a, a great point that, um, you know, this has kind of been business as usual for these European brands for, for 30 plus years where, you know, they're, they're, they're taking the wood from the milling department and putting it into the heating system. All the water from the tuning machines is getting yeah. recycled, you know, um, the renewable energy thing. So, but our, our, um, our ski factory opened in the, in the uh, early seventies in, in Kettlebach, Austria. Since that time, when it was developed, it has run off of hydroelectric power and it continues to run off of hydroelectric power. That wasn't done in the last five years. That was right. 40 yeah. years ago, right. you know, because there was a river that ran past the factory and we could harness some of that energy and it just made sense to do it. Um, you know, there's a lot of certifications for wood cores right now. All of our wood cores fall into those certifications, but we're not going to pay more money to get it stamped. Right. And that's all we're doing, um, you know, but when I bring that to, to our Europeans um, mindset, they're like, well, it falls under that. Yeah, but it's it's not listed as certified. Yeah, but are we going to pay money just to be listed as certified when we know what we're doing is already sustainable and and already taking all of those things into consideration? So, you know, there's some give and take there. Well, yeah, especially you know from a from a, a dollars standpoint to to Matt's point, we've talked about this before. It doesn't move the needle at the point of purchase. So it, it's it's like you know we know what we're doing and it's it's great for the overall yeah. big picture. But is it gonna is it gonna push someone one way or the other if it's quote-unquote certified probably not they're going to buy it if they want to buy it in america anyways you know yeah yeah cool well cool this has been great man i appreciate you doing this we, we all appreciate you doing this. this is this is this is awesome i think we i think we touched on a bunch of awesome stuff um and, i was happy uh, to come on i'm glad you guys asked me yeah man and like again five years is a, a long time but it felt like it went by really fast so let's make some turns yeah dude let's get let's get together um, you you guys will be hearing from us in that respect sooner than later. I can tell you that. Awesome. 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 Are you going to be on the East Coast at all this year? Or do you, you have anything planned for travel? Yes, I, I do plan on being back in the East um, around showtime. Um, we, in, in regards to one, one nugget that I already gave away, where we'll also um, be looking at some new 
skis in a category that we talked a lot about this year. Sweet. Um, that, that, that starts with super. So nice. um, nice. Yeah. we so will be, you, if you have some super samples and yeah. you're traveling with, you know, 60 Canal Street, make us make a stop. By. We've, we've been known to test some product. <laughs> we will be approaching you guys to get on these, these new skis for 24, 25. Awesome. Awesome. All right, Coop. Thank you very much, man. Thanks, Coop. Thank you, guys. It's been All a right, pleasure to touch. talk to you. All right, Likewise. thanks. Peace, y'all.